Hello and welcome to Now Here's a Thing, the latest laid-back podcast crafted by me, Tracy Jones, and me, Heather Noble. Can we start every podcast talking about the buzz, or do we just accept that it's a thing? Yeah. And any anybody who dares to listen twice. <laughs> Just. And by the time I've edited it out, maybe nobody, nobody else even notices, notices and we're just drawing attention to so the we've got choice in the we, corner of the room. I cannot edit it and we just leave it in as our trademark, our signature background. Yeah. We could rename the podcast The Drone. <laughs> the annoying noise in the background. <laughs> and the foreground. <laughs> Now, here's the thing. Oh, good, you've got something. I've got, yeah, I've got two things. Well, yeah, yeah. it's animal-related. Oh, lovely. So, um... Did you see, can I just ask on animals? Yes. Did you see the video of the tiger floating in the water holding a ball? No. I'll have to send it to you. Dead cute. I saw the video of the cat playing cards against <laughs> humanity. <laughs> So we've played that, haven't we? Um, yes. Cards Against Humanity. Um, with alcohol. With alcohol. Is yeah. there any other way? Into the wee small hours of the morning, because it's quite addictive. <gasps> but there was this person on Instagram, wasn't it? Was playing it with a cat. And there's something really terrifying about a cat picking out cards against humanity. Yeah, they'd lay out four cards in front of the cat, wouldn't they? Very determined, was yeah, it? Yeah, very. Wanted. Yeah, and only swiped one and then would sort of turn and walk away. Yeah, that one. Yes, and some of the results were... <laughs> Suitably horrendous, because they all are, aren't they? Disturbing, yes. Well, so actually, I will talk about the other thing, as we've just been talking about cats. Okay. Because the PDSA, the People's Dispensary for Sick Animals... Oh, yes. Uh, this is something that I saw in December, actually, and sort of... Um, bookmarked it and haven't come back to it but they give out medals the dickin medal they give out medals to as in charles dickens no it's dickin oh dickens because their founder maria dickin cbe okay decided that they would start giving um medals to animals who have um gone above and beyond above and beyond uh and Essentially, these are animals that played a big part in um, in the wars. So, since 1943, it has only been awarded 75 times. Wow, okay. okay. Um, oh, and there was um, one honorary medal which was awarded in 2014. But the recipients comprise of 38 dogs, 32 pigeons... Wow. Four horses yeah. and one cat. A cat? Yes. A Cats cat. going above and beyond? No. Yeah. No, no. I don't believe that one. You've got to tell me the Apparently. cat story. Well, the um, the yeah, the role of honour, if I go to cats, it's a cat called, guess what? Cat Simon. Simon the cat. Have you heard of Simon's cat? Have you come across yes, Simon's, Simon's cat? cat? There yes. you go. So Simon the cat died, uh, was awarded post... Post, 
posthumously, not yeah. posthumously, posthumously. <laughs> Post hummus. <laughs> yeah, after eating hummus, which killed him, there's a lovely picture of Simon um, on HMS Amethyst, um, where he was disposing of rats. He got wounded by a shell blast, but uh, he kept on getting rid of the rats. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong. You go for it. This wasn't a selfless act by the cat, was it? No. Because my cats keep disposing of mice. But I don't think they're going to get a medal for it. Well, if they die okay. in the call of duty, okay. they might. Okay. Um, yeah, so he was wounded by a shell blast. And there's, even, there's a little gravestone in oh. memory of Simon. Served in HMS Amethyst, May 1948 to November 1949. Awarded the Dickin Medal in August 1949. Can I just ask, the little gravestone says Simon. Does it say Simon is a cat? It says... No, it just says Simon. Simon. (laughs) Uh, So in years to come, there's this little grave. I imagine it's in a pet cemetery. I don't think it would be in, you know, Highgate Cemetery. (laughs) Um, and it says he died on the 28th of November 1949. Um, throughout the Yangtze incident, his behaviour was of the highest order. Oh, bless Simon. Isn't that lovely? And there's a little picture of a medal and then there's a little picture of Simon. And he's one of those cats. He's like a black cat. And he's got like white splodges on his nose and a white bib. Just looks like your, your normal black and white cat. Um, he lived the dream. He did. I mean, as an you abundance s- of rats. Yeah, as you say. Um, but it does sound like he had quite a few things wrong with him. He had shrapnel wounds and burns to his back and face. Bless, Bless him. Him. Yeah. And, and what? It, I mean, presumably he had sea legs. Did he not get seasick? This cat. I don't know. I don't know if cats get seasick. Oh. You do often hear of ships' cats, don't oh, you? Yeah. Anyway, so shall, some others, yes. shall I tell you about the honorary uh, Dickin Medal, which was awarded to a World War One war horse called Warrior, um, but this was awarded in 2014 um, because basically um, somebody put their name forward uh, to say, uh, and it was also in the year of remembrance, so 2014, so 1914. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, the uh, the family said, my family are more than honoured that Warrior has been given this award on behalf of all animals that also served. Oh. We are truly humbled. I only wish Jack Seeley were here today to witness Warrior receiving the animal equivalent of the Victoria Cross. So who's Jack Seeley? And Jack Seeley was the owner... Um, he was the owner and rider of the horse at that time who was General Jack Seeley. Uh, Presumably General Jack Seeley also got some medals. Yeah. Um, well, I guess so. They don't talk about him. But this is the horse. You remember the film War Horse? Yeah. Um, well, the... Play. The play War Horse. Yeah. I think it's all sort of connected with that. But um, this horse arrived on the front line in 1914... And remained there with General Jack Seeley throughout World War One. He was subjected to machine gun attacks by air and survived falling shells at the Battle of the Somme. 
Must have been terrifying. He was buried under debris and got stuck in the mud at Passchendaele and was twice trapped under the burning beams of his stables. He was an inspiration to the soldiers as they faced their greatest fears in the battle against bayonets, bullets, gas and tanks. He was a true survivor and his story epitomises the vital roles played by millions of animals. Did he survive the war then? I don't know the story. He... I don't know when he died. Let's have a look. He went to the front... There we go. He... um, Oh, right. I didn't see this bit. He got to the Western Front on the 11th of August 1914 with General Jack Seeley, who later became Lord Mottiston, and remained on the front line throughout the war. Um, He survived and returned home to the Isle of Wight in 1918, where he lived with the Seeley family until his death, aged 33. Wow. He displayed gallantry above and beyond the call of duty. He was an inspiration to the soldiers as they faced their greatest fears. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, the pigeons, there's loads of them. Um, White Vision, uh, Winky, they all have numbers, pigeon numbers. Um, Winky, for example, was awarded on the 2nd of December 1943 for delivering a message under exceptionally difficult conditions and so contributing to the rescue of an air crew while serving with the RAF in February 1942. I think we underestimate the the significance of carrier pigeons Mm. um during the wars um yeah so and then and then there's dogs um i I always uh, marvel at uh, you know sort of how birds navigate this this fly thousands of miles to migrate don't they and against you know terrible winds and rain and you know these, these tiny birds that come over from norway for um, just over to the UK, over the North Sea for the winter, and they're only teeny tiny. I think I was watching something on probably Winter Watch. Yeah, you know, like five grams when they set off, and then they fly all the way over the sea, and then they're amazing. It isn't is, it? but like a, a pigeon, how it knows its way home. From Something to do with magnets, isn't it? In their head or on the pull of the earth. I remember we were. We I were think t- they're smarter than we are. But I don't know if it's intelligence or if it is something within their body, you know, their physical... But isn't that like a form of intelligence? It's innate, it's inbuilt. Yeah, but I don't know if they... I don't know if they think, I'll go and deliver this No, message. I, I don't think that, again, they're not doing it in a wholly um, sort of self-sacrificing sort no, of way. They're just they're going just home. Get home. Yeah. Yeah. There was a guy dropping... We'd gone to the pub in Whittington back in the summer... And uh, just as we were leaving, like, this guy turned up. I was like, what's he doing? Nosy Heather. And he was setting off some pigeons. And so I went to him and I said, OK, right, obviously setting off pigeons. Where have you come from? And he'd come Makes from... Makes it sound like setting off fireworks. Set... <laughs> and it was like North Cheshire or something. And I said, oh, OK. And I think, I don't know, was it going to be 35 miles or something? And, uh, and I said, how long will it take? He said, before I get home, they'll be home. They literally just go straight there. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, you don't have homing dogs or homing horses or even a homing cat. And people forget that the carrier pigeon had to be brought somewhere in order to go back to... You know, you don't just go, go to this place. Yeah, deliver this message. 
Yeah, they don't go to. No, they come they're back coming from. back from, yeah. Tell me a dog story. Tell me a shaggy dog story. Okay, so... So, uh, let's have a look at... Um, Irma, an Alsatian, date of award January 45, for being responsible for the rescue of persons trapped under blitzed buildings while serving with the Civil Defences of London. Uh, at Thorn... 1945, for locating air raid casualties in spite of thick smoke in a burning building. Now, dogs, you know what we say? Cats aren't doing it for humanity. They're doing it, they do whatever they do for themselves. Dogs, I sense they do it because they want to be called a good boy. They do it for their owner, don't they? And for the praise. Yeah. 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 Uh, Judy, a pedigree pointer, uh, 1946, for magnificent courage and endurance in Japanese prison camps which helped to maintain morale among her fellow prisoners and also for saving many lives through her intelligence and watchfulness. Wow. Uh, what have we got? Uh, one for finding minds. Minds, not mm. minds. Um, serving in North Africa. Uh, Hong Kong. Ground Zero, here we go. Mar oh, right. March 2002, Apollo, a German shepherd, received the PDSA Dickey Medal on behalf of the search and rescue dogs, dogs at Ground Zero and the Pentagon following the terrorist attack on the 11th of September 2001. For tireless courage in the service of humanity during the search and rescue operations on and after the 11th of September. Faithful to words of command and undaunted by the task, the dog's work and unstinting devotion to duty stand as a testament to those lost or injured. Mm. Guide dogs. For, uh, this is Sal Salty and Roselle, again in the Twin Towers, for remaining loyally at the side of their blind owners, courageously leading them down more than 70 floors of the World Trade Centre into a place of safety following the terrorist attack on the 11th of September. Amazing stories, aren't they? Mm. So, there you go. I didn't know I was going to be talking about that. Well, I knew I was going to be talking about that, but it was not because of um, the cat, but the cat was the link. Excellent. Thank you. Shall we go on to mine, then? Mm. Now, here's the thing. Yeah, I've not done a massive amount of research, but my thing is based on a comment that... My friend Dawn made on Sunday night after we'd been out with yes. yourself yes. Um, and had a good old laugh. With Stuart Lee. We did. Well, yeah. and at Stuart Lee. With and at. With and at, yes. Um, what did and she, she messaged me and said, thank you very much, lovely evening. A good laugh is good for the soul. Mm. I thought... It is. That felt right. And then I thought, well, good for the soul... What is good for the soul, Heather? So I did a quick uh, a quick search that evening. I should have been going to sleep. And this phrase, confession, is good for the soul. Have you heard of that one? No. No. But I suppose that's the... Um, the Christian sort of way. Catholic. Like unburden yourself. Repent. And you'll be... Yeah, live the way. Better. Yeah, 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 OK. But I was wondering, what was good for your soul? Oh, doesn't it? 
intense, doesn't it? I mean, laughter, yes, definitely laughter. You know, yeah. you feel real, but sometimes having a good is cry. It contextual? Does it depend what's going on? It does, life? yeah, because getting away from it all can be really good for the soul, or being in the midst of other people and having a, you know, a, a, a lively experience can be yeah. good for your soul as well. Yes. And like you say, a good cry can be yeah. good for the soul. What feeds your soul? Yeah. What is your soul, though? Mm. It should. Well, yeah. If you if you if you believe in in like a being. soul and yeah. you know like um, a god and and, yeah. and a soul, then I guess your soul is. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not at all Christian, so I can't even no. explain it. But um, but I I. I I think it's like more like your inner. It's the spirit of you, self. isn't it? It's yeah, the, yeah, the essence. The essence of you, yes. Yeah, I don't think I could say. I mean, exercise. yeah. I'm sorry, sorry, Lisa. This is not a, a very good philosophical debate. We don't really know what a soul is. No. Let's park that. But what is good for our soul essence self? So I think it. I think it does depend. Um, it's a bit like you know when you have a craving for something to eat, not chocolate. But, you know, suddenly you go, I would really like to eat some beetroot. And it's kind of like your body's saying it needs... There's something yeah. in that beetroot that your body needs. Um, and I wonder whether, you know, your soul is does the same thing. It needs peace. It needs tranquility. It needs a laugh. It needs uh, fresh air. It needs to... You know, that grounding, sometimes you need to go and see... I just need to go and see the sea. Mm. So it's almost like this sort of ethereal yeah. part of you. Yeah, quite a, a, a deep yeah, sense. A feel, it's almost like, yeah, the feeling. The human spirit is one, one yeah. description of it. Um, and and I, I guess in some religions they believe that that soul lives on beyond the body. I'm yes. getting a little bit closer to the philosophical side of yeah. it, I guess, aren't they? So that, that's the essence of you that lives beyond your body, I guess. That's one way of looking at it. But may, yes, but maybe because we don't have a religious yeah. affiliation, it's difficult for us. If we were Catholic or if we were Buddhist or if we were... That would have a different meaning, yeah. yeah. So I suppose in that context, like if it's good for the soul, that means if you, if you have a religion that believes that your soul goes on... Um, beyond your body then something you're doing is actually like a almost like a karma type thing mm, it's, mm. it's quite it, it's good for your afterlife or whatever yeah. um but yeah in in the context i was thinking of it it's like it's good for me and the here and yeah. now in, in like in a deep sense what is good what is good for your soul what well laughter find? obviously we've determined yeah. that laughter um and then after the conversation we had last week joyful movement yes yeah and uh, unashamed deliciousness um, yeah um it is all of those things and it does feel a little trite to say it doesn't it but it's like yoga meditation movement um watching ballet that's incredibly good for the soul for me do you know what the one thing that and when i'm teaching first day for mental health we talk about this quite a bit the one thing that unites all of those things so sitting and laughing yeah at Stuart Lee for 90 minutes or whatever it was um sitting under a tree meditating cooking crying talking to friends walking on mountains looking at the sea it's time 
Time is the thing that unites all of those. Yeah. It's time doing something rather than dwelling on something. You know, it's like a distraction. Yeah, so like a, like a, a mindful... Mindfulness? Yeah. yeah. But then laughing... In the moment, are you? But, but I think there's different things, because laughing produces endorphins, yeah. and exercise after the event produces endorphins, so there's some chemical thing going on. Yeah. But it's different for everybody. For some people, sitting and... Well, certainly for some people, sitting and laughing at Stuart Lee is the last thing that they would want to do. So it wouldn't be good for their song, would it? No. Because it it could be annoying. If something isn't funny... Yeah. It can completely do your head in. It could make you angry. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I learned something else when I was thinking about this. I, I looked up Good for the Soul. Yes. First thing I found out is it's an idiom. Do you know what an idiom is? Oh, remind me. So this is according to Free Dictionary, so I'm assuming it's right. A group of words established by usage as having a meaning not deducible from those of the individual words, e.g. over the moon. So it's not literal. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) See the light. Pigs might fly. A form of expression natural to a language, person or group of people or the dialect of a people or part of a country or a characteristic mode of expression in music or art. So So could that even be things like E up, A up? Is that an idiom? Or is that a colloquialism? I don't know. I don't expect you to know the answer to that question. I'm just oh, it's rhetorical, it. thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> then, yes, I'm on board with that question. <laughs> um, I think that's um, colloquialism, is it? I never really... Mm. St- we didn't... In our generation, we didn't do a lot of grammar, did we? We didn't name things. No. We just had to do things. That's terrible. And people, um, youngsters now at school... They learn all the proper words yeah. for grammar. I, I feel quite stupid when yeah. my kids were doing their English homework. It was like homophones and similes and yeah, yeah. I, I'm rub- I am rubbish at at that stuff. I have to admit. I know what a verb is. I know what a noun is. Yeah. Not an adverb is. Yeah, adjective. Yeah. But I'm about done then. Yeah. Yeah. I can write reason. I can spell at least. Yeah, yeah. Construct sentences. Just don't know why. This, this is a nice um, um, description. Idioms mean something different than the individual words. Often confused with proverbs. So, can they give us another example of an idiom? Idioms to express happiness. Let's have a look. On top of the world. Yes, yeah, so you're not actually on top of the world. Yeah. Uh, in seventh heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I haven't been to heaven seven times. Yeah. Over the moon, walking on air, and on cloud nine. They're all okay. idioms. And so, good for the soul, or feeds the soul. Yeah, feeds the soul. Yeah, or good for the soul. I guess because the soul is. I don't know. Is it because we we don't have a full description of it? It seems quite. It doesn't seem that much of an idiom to me. If it's good for the. Soul. So whatever the, the soul is just a word to describe something. If so, basically, are they saying when you say it's good for the soul, or oh, that was enjoyable? Is it uh, for, like something made me feel good? Yeah. 
Do you want some other eggs? Because, I mean, eating a cream cake, you know, I, I enjoy it, but it's probably mm. not good for my soul, or is it? Well, I'm going to say, yeah, it's probably good for your soul. I think it depends on context, doesn't it? I'm not really sure. Let's have a look at some other idioms. A piece of cake. Okay. That's an easy one. Break a leg. Okay. We know that one. Yeah. Has the cat got your tongue? <laughs> Talking of cats. And don't cry over spilt milk. Okay. They're yeah. all idioms. I feel like I've learned something. And maybe you have too. Hmm. Do you want to learn something else? Yes, it's good for the soul, Heather. I do. Learning is good for the soul. It is. I went away for the weekend with a friend to a place. Um, You're not naming that place, No, because it wasn't great. Okay. But um, it was a big disappointment, actually. They're not managing customer expectation terribly well. But they did have, in the grounds, lots of peacocks. Okay. Lots of peacocks. And they're quite magnificent birds, aren't they? The they colours are. are fantastic. Quite noisy, though, aren't they? Yeah, they screech. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the friend that I was with has recently been um, on holiday and she'd been to Sri Lanka. Oh, sorry. And she was... Is that, is that the fizz? Fizz in a bottle? Fizz. <laughs> it's not... Fizzy <laughs> water. <laughs> sorry. Uh, Got the standards to... of this podcast, really. Uh, to Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. And we'd seen these peacocks and she said that she'd gone to do some yoga in this beautiful setting on this holiday. And they were sat and at the end of the yoga session, they were lying on their backs and they were, you know, just enjoying the tranquility. It's good for the soul. It's good for the soul, exactly. And all she could hear was this noise. It sounded like a jumbo jet taking off. And it became apparent that these were peacocks and they were roosting up in the trees so they fly and roost and there were loads of them doing it and so then we started having a conversation well how do they fly blooming heck never seen a peacock fly no no and there were loads and loads and loads of them and we were in this place in wales and there were loads and loads and loads of them so we started to have this conversation about well where are they Indigenous to you know where? Oh, where's a peacock from? from? Yeah, any idea where are peacocks from? Oswestry. Oh, see, I I was like, well, a lot of I was joking. No, I know I understand that. Well, there probably is a peacock from Oswestry in (laughs) Oswestry, not native to Oswestry, not native to Oswestry, and so we had this whole conversation, but we were in. we were in a hot tub at the time, so we didn't have our phones. Okay. So we said, like, we'll Google that later. And you so, remembered. And we remembered. Yeah. So you go to lots of National Trust properties, you know, big houses. There are often peacocks yes. there. So it's like, okay, so did we, did we bring them here or did the Brits take them to India, Sri Lanka? You know, it was part of the sort of Raj yeah. era. Anyway, it turns out they are actually from... Um, Sri Lanka and India. And so that's where they And so we we took them back to the UK. We we did with many things that we found. Like rhododendrons and, you know, when people used to go travelling and then bring stuff back. So apparently the first recorded introduction of peacocks to the UK was in the 14th century 
when 1300s. the 1300s 13 yeah when the aristocrats Sir John de Foxley brought a pair of the birds like something from Robin Hood I don't know Sir John de Foxley from the Holy Land um, they were considered exotic and valuable animals and they were often kept as status symbols the whole, by the wealthy. The Holy Land isn't Sri Lanka or India, though, is it? No, no, but he was believed to have brought them back from the Holy Land. Okay. But who's to say... He got the right bit of land. Yes, but then also people say that they think maybe the Romans brought them over. So Actually, even earlier than yeah, the 1300s. But the first recorded, so the first time somebody you know, wrote down, uh, you know, uh, three suitcases, a chest, you know, a sedan chair and two peacocks. Yes, it's a household inventory. Yes, yes. exactly, exactly. Um, so, but but what what it did tell us is that we brought it here rather than us taking stuff elsewhere. Okay. Um, and they have to be able to roost because um, they would be predated on by foxes and all sorts of things over here. Never thought so, about that. Yeah. So, and you can't clip their wings because they need to be able to fly. But we don't tend to see them flying, do we? No. How do they fly then? With their wings. Okay. Not the, So what we think of with their feathers, that's their tail, is it? Yeah. Yes. And, yeah, how do peacocks fly? Let's look at that. Um, they start fly in a run and a jump a few times to build up momentum before finally launching themselves. That, actually, their wings, just looking at these pictures, are very big um, and can reach heights of around... By flapping their wings furiously, they can reach heights of around eight feet, which is roughly double their height, but they can't stay aloft for long. So I think it's a bit of a get up there. Or fall down and have to try again. Okay. Um, how fast can they run? So I guess you have to have the right sort of trees around. If you're a hotel that has peacocks... There must be trees for them to reach. Yeah, you yeah. have to have the right size trees. They're one of the fastest running birds and they can run at up to 10 mile an hour. Oh. Um, so don't upset a peacock while you're wandering around a hotel because they'll, they'll run you down. They Well, they can be quite aggressive they can be quite fighty um but they will defend themselves which is why they have the big tail isn't it the, the feathers because that's to make themselves look bigger and um, you know that circle in the top of the feather they're meant to look like eyes yeah. so they look like a multi-eyed unknown Monster. thing and so people tend to back up not what humans and others back off and peacock feathers were thought of as being incredibly unlucky weren't they Yes, and yet they're very, very beautiful. Mm. So I don't know why they why they thought of it on that. Well, you've got your laptop there. Have a little Google. For sale. I don't want to buy any peacock. Bad luck. The superstition of having one in the home is said to result in any unmarried woman living a life of spinsterhood. Yeah, oh yeah, well, you know... I, I, I got that. She had some, yeah, I got that tail feather, didn't I? Um, yeah, the evil eye. Oh, excuse me, no, go hiccups. Oh, crikey. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. 
However, they symbolise good luck, elegance, beauty, immortality, rebirth, royalty, wealth, or divine femininity. Or, or, or bad luck. Yeah. In Greek mythology, they represent protection, while in Buddhism, they're associated with wisdom, wisdom and enlightenment. I think people just make stuff Means up about them. you want. Yeah. <laughs> it's a feather. Yeah. What's it going to do? Tickle you. Now Here's a Thing is a Jones and Noble production brought to you every week. Well, maybe not every week ever. <laughs> Recorded with an iPhone, a microphone and lots of hot air. Hot air.